The GovCon Secrets Podcast will take a deep dive into the government contracting space where you'll hear from a variety of expert guests on strategy, pricing, benefits, business tactics, and all this to save you a ton of money, time, energy, and effort. I'm your host, Jim Campbell, former Marine and CEO of Axum Fringe Solutions Group. My goal is to redefine the benefits world with a brutally honest view of how benefits, compliance, finance, and overall contracting strategy mixed with my years of experience and expertise can benefit you to deploy strategies to help your GovCon grow and win in the future, all the while without boring you to death. We're going to have fun. Let's start the show. So here we are, another episode of GovCon Secrets Podcast. Uh, Today, we have a very special guest. Uh, We're going to talk about DPC, direct primary care, the evolution of benefits, why DPC, and the future going forward and working in this industry. So today's guest is Dr. Mariel Concepcion. And she has a great story. We've met each other through the Health Rosetta Network, but she is our go-to for things, all things DPC and what we want to build here at Axum and why so many people around the country use her as a influencer in the DPC space. So Marielle, thank you for joining the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm so excited to be on another podcast as a guest. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the first time we met was last summer in Denver at a convention. And I was like, how do you have so much energy? You're like, you have kids and you're married and you have all this energy and you're smiling, but your enthusiasm about just when we're talking about our kids, right? In that upstairs back room. And then your enthusiasm about DPC and the growth you saw last summer. So like almost 15 months ago from that time to now, which we just finished this summer's version of the Health Rosetta Summit. Talk to me about the growth. Talk to me about what you've seen in just the last 15 months. Yeah. Well, I will say that it's the last 15 months has definitely been a continuation of the historical exponential growth that we have seen in the direct primary care movement. And I think that a lot of that has to do with not only physicians saying, hey, like we could actually do this, but also we see that the whole ecosystem, the landscape of direct primary care, direct specialty care, people who are building direct primary care uh, options into their offerings for employees, whether they be a company that employs 27 people or a company that employs 300,000 Fortune 500 company, we've really seen how people are waking up and continuing to wake up to the fact that like, oh, transparency and, you know, this idea that people can have high quality access to healthcare without going bankrupt or without having to have a seven-figure salary to be able to achieve that uh, healthcare um, access is is real. And it's happening in every state in the nation. So I think that, you know, just in the last 15 months, what's been really powerful for me is, you know, culminating in Rosetta Fest, especially that we, we were just both at, um, there were over 750 people who were registered for that event. And, you know, in terms of the people who are brokers who historically have only known level funded buka plans like th- that's that's not their only language now and by empowering people not only the physicians you know that's my major space but not only the physicians who are doing this i've seen network tapping between independent dpc doctors and more uh, employers i've seen more people who are you know former level funded plan buka selling people who are like which I mean, I need to know more about this because this totally makes sense. And I've seen that word of mouth networking between all of us who are 
you know, aware and building DPC into the healthcare of everyday Americans, I've seen that networking grow and grow and grow. Well, that's amazing. I mean, again, this now I see where the enthusiasm comes from, right? You have all this energy. It's exciting because you, I feel just from our brief conversations and interactions, I think in the stuff that you've produced over LinkedIn, you've been a very vocal doctor, right? About the advantages of DPC because you see the end patient. You get to see people and help them where they live and breathe. Like you said, they might not have the large salaries, but they have everyday needs and so do their dependents. As you're building out your community and you're building out the education, not just through Health Rosetta, but the community at large, have you found that the predominance of partners, other providers, other doctors are coming out because they're frustrated what they're seeing from the insurance reimbursement or they're frustrated because they can't be doctors and deliver the care they want? Yeah, I love this question. It's all, every everything that you just asked, it's all of that and and more. Because, you know, when we went to doctor school, we were individuals typically in their 20s who were saying, you know, I want to dedicate my career path to taking care of other human beings. And to be able to do that, you know, it, it's a big sacrifice. I mean, just looking at it, the cost of education, my husband and I went to Creighton. I mean, together we had probably over a million dollars of debt just from a private school. And then you have sorry, I can't make your wedding. Sorry, I can't make your birthday. Sorry, I can't make your whatever Christmas celebration because I'm in school. And then you're you're working on the hours that somebody else determines. The hospital shift determines, your residency determines, whatever. Just to go into that with the ideals that you are going to be able to really make a difference in people's lives, that's one thing. But then you get her in the real world. And I just came from the California Academy of Family Practice their POP meeting. I don't remember what POP stands for, but it basically was a meeting of medical students and residents and people who are wanting to know updates on medicine, topics and medicine, whatnot. But what we were able to do is we were able to talk to people who are coming out into this real world that we live in. Like you and I are, you know, working in and advocating for DPC in every day because they're realizing, and I mean, we're talking people who are in residency, like just so for the audience, if you're not aware, you go to medical school for four years, And then, and this is the typical route, and then for a family medicine doctor, you have to do three years minimally of training, basically an apprenticeship called a residency. And then after residency, you're called a quote-unquote attending. And then that's when you're able to leave residency, get a job is what the typical route is. But people in residency are noticing that like, how come in residency, the, the major way of how we're being taught is to work with a buka type plan. Like, it's crazy that, you know, I never had any insight to this whole system that is built the way that it is supposed to be built and it's working for the people it's supposed to be working for. It's not broken. But as a resident, I never thought that there was any other way. I never thought to ask if there was any other way. And we're seeing medical students and residents say, I'm going to be a DPC doctor after residency, or they're learning in residency, like, there's another way. And why I say that yes and yes to those questions that you asked is that not only is it really irritating when you're an employee, and for example, the former employer that we were associated with, CMS rates for reimbursement went up for primary care. And then the corporations Mm -hmm. can say, and this is, you know, what happened in, in our neck of the woods, that's fantastic. Yes, CMS is increasing rates, we're going to take all of this money and then give you this rate after we take our cut of CMS's increase in rate. And I'm so sorry, it's less than what you were making before, but not our problem. Your problem is to show up and 
process the codes for us every day. And we don't actually care now in California. If you're an MD or DO, you can be a nurse practitioner with 4,600 hours of supervised care, quote unquote, and magically you're a doctor too, meaning you're a code processor. So when it comes to what does that make a doctor feel like when the doctor is really a glorified coder? That's one reason why physicians are tuning in to DPC, being inspired by DPC, being hopeful with DPC. When it comes to the part about physician autonomy, oh, that's a whole nother thing because it's influenced by insurance, right? Like you have to see so many codes a day by a lot of these employers. And so, or so many, you know, heads of cattle a day is like I is what I like to say mm-hmm. because that's basically what humans are being treated as. Yep. And you're told how many minutes you can have per patient. And so when we talk about why I'm excited, I just spent an hour and a half at somebody's house, one of my members, because they needed to. They came out of the hospital and it's like, I don't have a patient after you because specifically I have a recording with Jim and then I have another recording this afternoon for my podcast and I schedule all the things that I need to keep me in a place where I can be alive and active and enthusiastic while taking care of my patients. But I make time, like, you know, if something acute happens, my patients have the accessibility that they need to reach me and I have the team to support getting them same or next day access. When we have that as a DPC doctor, and then on top of that, we can determine our schedules. We know we have like every physician has a list of people where you're like, this person can never have less than a 45 minute appointment or whatever. And in the fee for service system, you might you know, not even have the option. Like, that's nice. I love that you want to have 45 minutes. And I love that you're trying to like schedule two 30 minute sessions to really cover only one patient, but then some admin picks up on it and they're like, sorry, you didn't have enough codes and we don't, we know what you're trying to do. So we're not going to allow that anymore. And when you are shrunken in terms of time and time with patients, you don't know your patients as well. Like I know my patients a lot better now than I did when I was taking care of them for like six plus years in my fee-for-service job, as well as if I wanted to do things like I can do biopsies. I'm a physician and surgeon. I trained as a full-scope rural family medicine doctor. I can do a lot of things. And it's like, if you don't give me the time to do the things and I'm rushing through them and doing a shoddy job, that doesn't do good for me. That doesn't do good for the patient. And it's not right. right. But in DPC, it's like, I love the term, if you've seen one DPC, you've seen one DPC, because if you love procedures like me, I will try to do everything in-house that I am trained and capable of doing before I refer out. That's why DPC is such an amazing business model of doing medicine, but it really is old school medicine. Like Dr. James Gore, a former emergency room physician who is now doing primary care in Irvine, California at Halcyon Health DPC with his wife, Emily, he said that this is not an innovative model. It totally isn't. Even though that's like in the beginning of my podcast and the uh, it's an innovative alternative path to insurance-driven healthcare, it, it, there is the idea that it is innovative because what we're doing is old school medicine and adding technology to it. You and I are in totally different parts of the country and we're able to access a, a podcast recording in between the geographic miles that separate us. The same thing with patients. Like I remember I was at Health Rosetta Summit, one of the summits last year, and I was off stage after emceeing for a second. And then my patient said, I have COVID. And I'm like, cool, I already sent your Paxlovid to Rite Aid. And she was like, what? Like my, my husband had to go wait eight hours for the same thing in the ER. And I'm like, that's because he's not a member of the Big Trees MD direct primary care practice in Ireland, California. So this is why I can endlessly have enthusiasm about how the model of DPC 
and how the model being accessible to everyday Americans brings physicians happiness, brings patients happiness, and brings quality of care that we've never seen before accessible to, again, everyday Americans. Yeah, that quality is huge. And I'll give you an example of where I see it from where you're going. In the D.C. metro area, the big thing about it uh, about a decade ago or 15 years ago was concierge care, right? Mm-hmm. So find that these CEOs or these CFOs, they were making very good livings and they were doing well. And their staff had this book plan. And again, I was a participant in it. I was recommending these plans. And but the owners or the CFOs or the C-level, they wanted concierge care. And their doctors are like, you write me a check for $2,500 a year and you can see me anytime you want, but I don't accept insurance. So then we would process everything out of network and get them some reimbursement. Well, the evolution of that is now DPC, where it's like, no, 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 we're going to tell you what our charge is for a visit. Mm -hmm. If you're in our network or you're in our participation group, you can see us anytime. You can book us, you can schedule us, right? You can have access to us. It's no longer that upfront $2,500, but you know the cost of the visit and we can bill it against Mm -hmm. your plan. So it was taking that old school model of fully insured and using out of network for some model of reimbursement, but it only applied to the wealthy people that could afford that first $2,500. Now DPC has turned that on its head. It's for everybody. And it's a cost and quality measure where we can bill it to the insurance. It's not out of network. It's not upfront, out of pocket money. And half the time, employers, if they're smart and they're building the DPC right, there's no cost to the employee or for that visit. They're picking it up in their claims pool. Yes. And that saves the average working American time going to the doctor, the expense of out of pocket that, you know, if they're under a high deductible health plan and it's a $5,000 deductible, 300 bucks, and then time to go back to work, you know, and Mm -hmm. these are all major things when you're working on the American average income of like $42,000 yes, and you might have kids, right? Yes, so just absolutely. care, the actual health care yeah. is being superseded by driven insurance. And that's yes. what I love about the story. And when we talk about insurance, something that I, I find is in pretty much every community, I mean, there's more hotspots, quote unquote, of DPC than other areas of the country. Like Arnold is not a hotspot of DPC, but people still have all over the nation that this, that insurance is healthcare. And it's, we could go down the list of how many examples are there. Like you and I probably have examples. I know I'm thinking of one right now where it, well, you have insurance and yet you can't access healthcare. And then when it comes to DPC, it's like, you can't access healthcare from a doctor who actually knows you, who is accessible when you need them, but you can in DPC. And like you're saying, you know, the cost savings, it's insane, not only for like you're saying the time away from work that a patient doesn't need to take because like I have a rash, I can just text my doctor the rash rather than leaving work, going to show them the rash and being told the same thing, like, let's do these things and then see me back in six weeks. It's what kind of healthcare is that? And you're talking about, you know, just the everyday examples of when we think about like, oh, you have to leave work to do something. But it's like when it comes to like you're talking about kids, it's like, okay, I don't have a babysitter or like my kid is out of school. I don't have anybody to watch them. So now I have to spend money to pay for a babysitter to watch the kids so I can go to the doctor. Like there's so many examples of how ridiculous it is to only work in the fee-for-service world. And also we saw, for example, at um, the Rosies, the awards that we had for Rosetta Fest, how you're talking about how the employees are not paying out of pocket for 
these benefits. I mean, we see businesses who are, instead of having a buke, you know, plan that does not deliver um, any more than it did last year, but yet it costs more every single year, we're seeing people do self-funded type plans where it's like, let's see what's out there in our community to see what we can get for high quality, meeting quality measurements, meeting our budget, but also, oh, if we save money by keeping good preventative care accessible to our employees, then, oh my gosh, we have tons of savings. Like we saw, I think one employer had upwards of 30% savings in their healthcare spend because they were working with transparent pricing and transparent physicians and transparent, everybody who's working transparently in the system to get what exactly is the cash price for my MRI or what exactly is the cash price for one doctor to cover all of the preventative services for my patient. So it's so powerful the time that we're in because we're really seeing changes all over the country where people are waking up to the fact that like, whoa, like we've done Buka. This is this is what we've resulted in because we've done Buka for so long. What else is out there? Well, there's a shroud of convenience and ignorance, right? Sure. And, and people say, well, I've always done it that way, or I've seen this doctor and they've seen me since I was 20 and now I'm 35 and my comorbidities never got any better and I'm not losing weight and I'm still taking drugs that are too expensive. And, you know, it's, it's like that fear of change and it's like the change could make me do something more. But then I look back at it and I look at it seriously. And I say this because I'm not from a wealthy background or anything like that. It increases equity and inclusion across the country for all Americans. Right. And, and you nailed it. So a lot of our populations in GovCon and the folks that are listening to this will absolutely resonate with this. You have the haves and have nots as far as mm -hmm. the demand, right? So you have the IT infrastructure folks and they're very, very small pool of people have to go through security clearances and so on and so forth. And they make good money. They can yeah. afford the traditional UCA model because they can, they have the out of pockets to do HSAs and those types of things. But the vast majority of the country are these blue, gray collar workers or these blue collar workers. They're on fixed incomes yep. and they're not always in the best areas. And you do have the single parent that has two kids at home that can't afford a babysitter to go to a provider, but the kids are sick, right? And like, this is where I am avidly preaching, like, how do we get DPC into these plans? Please stop letting the Bucas, and I'm going to throw one in particular out there, the Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama. How do we break apart the monopolies? to get yeah. DPC providers to these families that absolutely need the care and they need it like now at a mm -hmm. price they can afford. And when I first met you and then obviously followed you on LinkedIn and everything you're doing through Health Rosetta with partners, it's becoming, like you said, more and more apparent in all parts of the country, regardless of income type, regardless of plan type, it's not about insurance. It really yeah. isn't. And that is the mechanism to, and, and a way to afford it but it's typically the employers are happy to pay for it because it's such a significant difference than that legacy open checkbook. Yeah. And oh, by the way, my employees are really pissed off because they don't have the money to even afford under their portion. Yeah. So as you had said before we kind of got on here, your husband saw his first DPC patient today. Um, <laughs> you're in a household of two physicians with kids, both working in DPC. Mm -hmm. What is the difference in just your daily life as a DPC doc, if you don't mind going down that road, yeah, doing what you're doing now versus when you worked, as you said, counting sheep, right? Or, or managing a herd of cattle. Yeah. 
It's totally different. And it's crazy because when a person, even before they open, when a person has the mindset as a physician going into direct primary care, your mind is one impacted because it's an entrepreneurial space. So I feel that the possibilities that we think of is to like how to deliver our medicine, what tools, what SaaS solutions do we want to incorporate, but also like who's our ideal patient that might change. Like if you're doing a general family practice clinic and you're a family practice doctor, but you really want to focus on women's health, it's like, you do you, man, like whatever you love to do, you get the space to do that. And so for me, you know, I just came from open house yesterday. My kids, my oldest kid is in kindergarten. And I told his kindergarten teacher, I was like, so you just said that you need volunteers from nine to 10 in the morning for these like math centers that they're doing. I'm like, well, my husband and I only go into the clinic when we need to actually see a person. We definitely maximize telemedicine first. That means like messaging electronically, text message, video visit, phone call, all of those options before a person has to come into the clinic or we go to their house, depending on the, the patient's need. But we schedule like, you know, from Thursday is 2.30 to 4.30 is soccer because my husband got roped into coaching my son's team. <laughs> like those are the things that come first. And those are the things that when we are older, when we're looking back, when our kids are older and they recognize my mom drove me to all of my field trips or like my, my mom was always in my classroom and she's a doctor and she's doing all these other things. It's like, wow. So I, I really say that when it comes to what is the difference, we get to decide our day. We get to decide what we're going to do with our month rather than, okay, so I have to be at the clinic between eight and five. And then I have to come home and pray to everything that my charts are done. Oh, wait, they're never done. So I'm going to have to spend the time that I should be spending with my time with my, I should be spending time with kids on charts because if I don't finish them in 72 hours, I'm not going to get paid. It's like, huh? So in, instantly when you have a mind shift into, I could be a DPC doctor too, that mind shift, it, it literally is a domino effect into all aspects of your life. Wow. I'm going to put time to like, go on the Peloton with my girlfriends at the set time. I couldn't do that before. I have to water the plants for 30 minutes every day. Usually don't do that, but sometimes I do. But that's on my schedule, right? So that that's how I would, you know, describe the general change that we've seen. And I will say that because of that, like my husband's stress level went down immensely when he decided that he was going to do DPC. And that also results in like more tolerance of the like, whining and hitting and fighting between the two and the five-year-old, just all of these things, it, it all, when we're happier physicians and whatever brings us happiness is allowed in DPC, it impacts our patient care, our family life, everything. So it's just, it, there's nothing yeah. like it. Yeah. That's outstanding. I love hearing that. And I guess the transitional thing I was going to go to from there is now that you can preach about this because you have real world experience, firsthand experience, how are you propagating that or pushing that out to your fellow physicians? Because I ask, I hear the studies, we all hear the studies, there's less people getting into the sciences, medical sciences oh year over year. Less kids are willing to take on the financial burden. They don't want to be bothered, whatever. Do you see, as you're mentioning this and you're spreading the word, does this become now a global network of for medical providers or... Only the people that are qualified within the United States to understand how to get paid and the legacy insurance model. Because if less people are getting into the industry, somebody's going to have to see a lot more people, right? What I will say is it's so funny because when we check our uh, our charts for the My DPC Story podcast, the podcast that I host about physicians doing DPC, we see like, oh, we're like 
you know, top 50 in this country and top 10 in this country. And it's like, you know, DPC, it's so interesting because I think what people understand is that old school medicine part. I think where it comes to global health, it's interesting because you see countries who are like, let's do what the U.S. healthcare system is doing and do buka plans and all these things. And it's like, we're also like not too happy with that decision. And that's probably not the best decision that you could make for your country, given that you are not in a pickle like the U.S. is right now. When it comes to, though, the ability to understand I'm a human being and I would love to have quality access to a physician who actually knows me over time and is accessible when I need them to be. For those people who even think about dedicating their life career to helping human beings, that's freaking inspiring, right? For me, it's like, that is like, I'm, I'm a primary care doctor. I'm a cradle to grave and, you know, type of doctor. And that's the medicine I fell in love with when I saw Dr. Tim Blakey in Superior, Nebraska do all the things. I mean, he's delivered generations of kids and I'm like, dang, like that is making a difference in the world. And so for me, when I talk with other people, I think that it's easy to lead to these words of inspiration, these stories. But then what I love is that now DPC, because it's experienced such as exponential growth and it is in every single state in the union, there's it, you can go beyond just the inspiration. You can develop that actionable business plan and hope to like say, oh, I could do this in any community. Fill in the blank, rural, urban, doesn't matter. Dr. Phil Eskew, another amazing DPC physician, JD and MBA, he is an awesome person, but he said, you know, on his podcast, like you could open DPC anywhere. I mean, like I'm in town of 4,000 people and people are like, sign me up, man, because I don't, I can't lose you. I need a doctor to take care of me when I need right. them. And so, you know, we're right. filling that niche. But yeah, I mean, it, it literally is it, it, the idea of DPC. Again, it, it's like, this is the legal term for it, but it's like that old school medicine. Like nobody is coming between the patient and their physician. Amazing. Like, how can you not be inspired by that? Yeah. And and I guess you broke down the disintermediation around insurance getting in the way of that, right? So the problem, like we talked about, is so many people are afraid because they can't afford mm -hmm. to go to a doctor or they can't take that med yeah. and need it, right? So when you looked at this and we're taking it down the road of, you know, we We'd really like to help the end patient. We'd really like to deliver back. Have you been able to quantify what that means in the actual care or the spend that employees have been making previously versus now? Yeah, I, I love that. So in my particular neck of the woods, in my direct primary care practice, and now mine and my husband's DPC, employers are not our major player. I will say that for us in particular. What I will say, though, is that I've had employers who have been, because it's not, for some employers especially, it's it's a long game. It, and even for physicians to do DPC, it's a long game. It's not like I hear about and I sign up today to like, you know, my career path is going to change to DPC. With employers, it's a similar thing. Like there is an employer, auto mechanic empl employer, bit a, a bit away from us about a few hours. And they were like, wait a minute. So even if we had our BUCA plan for like high deductible stuff, like if our patients had the, because there, there's young, healthy people at this employer, you know, who had the like women's health quick question or the like, I have a cough, the basic things that we see bread and butter wise in family medicine. And they're like, 
even if you're far away, you're licensed in the state of California. So technically we could come see you virtually. That's amazing. And save a ton of money by still having a higher deductible plan. Plus, you know, a local doctor, generally local. I mean, I say that not because geographically local, but like that I'm not a person who sees 3,000, 4,000 people, which is what you see in fee-for-service clinics. The other oh, thing wow. is that, especially for rural areas, the access to care is insane. There, There is a, a company who is getting services uh, by a doctor about, I think it's like eight to 10 hours away. And the doctor requires a, a single visit in person per year. Um, I believe they're still billing their insurance, their, their BUCA plan. But the thing is, is that, and actually crop that up because he is listed out of network. So crop that part out. But what happens with these employees is that they have to pay for somebody to take their position while they take off, spend the night in a hotel room, whatever the cost that of that is, to drive eight to 10 hours to see this doctor once a year, and then to drive back up because that's what's covered. There are countless examples of even though our practice is not heavy with self-funded plans and employers using self-funded plans with Big Trees MD as of today's recording, there definitely are companies who are like, what are we doing here, man? Like, this is crazy. And the employees, it's so sad because the employees will just go along with whatever because that's the healthcare that's covered. And can you imagine if you're an employer who does employ the IT people to the everyday people that like you as an employer can say, holy smokes, I could bring way better quality of healthcare to my people, the people that I care about, the people that I have decided to employ that I want to continue employing and save money by doing it? What is that? That's DPC group. The heartburn that we see of advisors, and you know, we have a health plan, we have true care for GovCons, is that when you go to build these plans, you're getting stuck in the mired solutions of like, I don't have time for this. I just need a renewal. I need a hard rate. I need to know it covers everything under ACA requirement and ERISA, and I need to press the go button. Yeah. There is a thought process. So when you go level funded or self-funded or you bring in a DPC solution, there has to be a run. You have to build that into a plan. You have to build that into a socialization, so to speak. How have you, well, I guess since you've been doing this, how do you feel that socialization has been getting quarter over quarter, year over year? Are more people at groups and group specific starting to understand it? How is that socialization happening across the country? And do you see that this is, there's better ways to do it? I'm just interested from your perspective because I have mine, but I'd love to yeah. hear from you. In my opinion, what I feel is that what we see on the news and stuff, like the country is so divided and all this stuff. But it's like when I talk to everyday people, when it comes to like, oh, like no matter what creed you come from, it's like the fact that you could get accessible, affordable quality care when you need it by a doctor who knows you. I think that what I do see more and more of is people who they might be historically in a place where they're like, I just need to press the button now. From my perspective, what I see happening is historically, yes, there may have been people who were like, I only do level fund funded. This is what we've done last year. This is what we're going to sign up for again next year. I, I, I see a parallel in the physician space because when physicians are like, yes, I could absolutely stay and be told what I will be doing for my paycheck, or I could actually seek out a better way in life. 
I see the exact same thing happening in people who are in the broker space. Like they're waking up to like all these examples all over the the nation. Like, you know, one of the ones that I love to point out is Bryce Heinbaugh working with Dr. Mark Potts in Ashtabula, where they were the eighth poorest district in the state of Ohio. And now they have better than CEO level healthcare and they have savings from that, you know, that switch. And so where I see brokers going now, especially those are the people who attended Rosetta Fest this year and last year at Health Rosetta, at Health Rosetta Summit are the people who are like, oh, okay. So it's not only like this magical unicorn thing. It's like actually happening. And like, oh my gosh, by networking, I just met somebody who it's who's making it happen in three counties over. Like that's insane. And so where it comes to networking and and the socialization of people being aware that it's out there, it, it's just like DPC and physicians growing the DPC movement. In I think in 2019, I went to a summit where there was a, I think it was like in 2017, there was like 147 clinics or something crazy. And then now we have over thousands of clinics, right? And it's only 2023 that we're recording this. So when you see that not only are there people who have already done it and you can talk to them and they live in the neighborhood similar to yours, boom. Like all it is is like, hey, I noticed you uh, did this or I heard your story. Could I talk with you? I had a person who did that the other day who's a broker who went to Rosetta Fest and was like, I want things to happen more in my area. Fantastic. Let's talk about it. But yes, it, it's definitely the reason why I feel more and more people are realizing that, yes, there's the easy button, but I'm going to choose what's best for all of the people I represent as a broker. And in terms of my world, like the patients that I represent as a physician. Yep. Yep. No, I, I love it. So it seems like it's happening on both sides of the delivery, right? So it's happening yep. from the employer side, which includes the brokerage side. And then it's happening on your side of the fence with the providers. And they're saying that there's continuity to this. There's ways that we can grow it. There's ways we can uh, socialize it together. And I think that's the biggest disconnect on the traditional side is that you've got the carriers and they push the message down and the brokers are supposed to work for the employers. They really work for the carriers, right? Their yes. sales for the carriers. Yes. And that model's now been flipped. And mm -hmm. this is where I think the industry is making it more difficult than it needs to be. I think that, you know, we have personally, and I'll just talk about accent clients, you name the range, right? It, employers are big, small, blue, gray collar, different genders, different social backgrounds, you name it, all types of folks. It doesn't mean that it has to be bad, but when you bring up DPC, there's no one else speaking to it. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, wait, it doesn't have blue cross blue shield on the card, or that's a common thing. And what we're trying to do is get folks like you out there to educate and socialize these ideas more to say, I'm a provider. I want you to call me. I want to help you get better, your ch children to get better, whatever it is. And oh, by the way, it might not cost you a dollar, right? And, and there's real, like you said, Bryce, super smart guy, works his backside off for that community, love his story. And um, there's so many other people around the country that are really doing that, that yeah. are brokers doing it for their mm -hmm. clients as opposed to for a carrier. Have you seen that uptick in the message, you know, coming to you as a DPDC doc, have you seen more brokers or advisors come to you with that message of like, I have this community. Can you help me with, you know, you're in California, but I'm in Ohio or you know, wherever, Indiana, can you help me 
build out a DPC network? Uh, do people come to you for that kind of advice? Yeah, quite frequently. And I'm grateful for that because people are asking, right? That's the first thing I feel is like when you're learning anything new or wanting to know more, you just have to start asking questions. There's never any stupid questions. But like, for example, I was talking with somebody at the CAFP who was like, I would love to see employers work with DPC. And I'm like, there is a ton of people actually doing that. Like, it's not a, it's not a thing that is coming down the pipeline in the right. future. Like that is happening now in every community possible because of us networking and of us connecting and saying like, hey, like I have questions about like, how could I, starting from people in training, like how could I attract people to our area? And what I think about it too, is like when you talk about building DPCs into communities in an even stronger form than it might be today, it's such a community effort. That's what I love also about this because being a family doctor, I love when it's like, the grandparents give a crap and the kid gives a crap and the parents give a crap about whatever we're talking about, you know, like asthma treatment or whatever it is. But it's like when everybody is aware and is invested, it really turns out amazing for the communities. And so when it comes to if somebody is saying like, how could I promote our community to be a DPC friendly community? Like in, I believe it was in Ashtabula also, like they didn't have a DPC doctor to be their core person, but then they were like, we got to talk to other doctors and then they got one because they were like, hey, you know, you could actually do what you've always wanted to do here. And they've made a run of it. But it's like when it comes to not only one thing that I love is Dr. Anand Mehta, who was the first medical director of all of Walmart Health, who went to open up his own DPC in, um, uh, in Marietta, Georgia, six months after he started at Walmart. I mean, like he was making a ton of money, but he left and he said, hey, I can't do this anymore because I'm not a cattle herder. When he was talking on my podcast, he said, tell five people about DPC. I think that is a very, very inexpensive way to spread that word of mouth. Because like Dave Chase was saying, like we only need 3% of people to really buy into something to start making a true change. And we're seeing that like crazy in the States. I mean, we're not yet at 3% arguably when you look at some of the data. However, look at the trajectory that we've had because of everybody working together to make DPC and make transparency a thing in any community. And so when it comes to people reaching out, one of the things that I can do as a doctor who does this every day is that I can speak to the patients who I've seen in clinic, which every broker that I've talked to is like, I that, that reminds me of a patient that I had or, you know, somebody who I was my employer was caring for or whatever that we were struggling to get coverage for or whatever. And then, you know, because I can speak to how does it look like from the patient's perspective? And can you imagine if that was your, if, if that was your employer's employee? I think yep. that's what really allows a, a human face to what we're doing. So, to, you know, almost rather than like, think about, you know, having access to a doctor's like, no, 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 let's, that is a thing. That's what we're doing. But like when it comes to your 42-year-old person who was diagnosed with whatever disease and this is what happened because they had an accessible primary care doctor or somebody who was doing direct care, it's that really brings the humanism and the understanding that this really is a thing that we're all growing together. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, that's it. Like you said, it's a together thing. Look, I could talk forever with you. I, 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 we're going to go deep down this rabbit hole and I hope you'd be willing to come back uh, because I know all communities need to understand this, but I can tell you truthfully from this government contracting community, it's like another planet 
to a lot of people. We want to build out this network. We want to keep propagating it and populating it with folks. How do people find you? How, how can people listen to you, your podcast, find you on LinkedIn? How, how can we find you? Yeah, LinkedIn, definitely just Marielle Conception under my name. But then in terms of where I podcast every week, it's at, it's the website is mydpcstory.com. So my DPC for direct primary care story. And what, what you'll hear on the podcast is physicians, literally, just like myself all over the country, and not just primary care, but specialists as well, who are talking about how they're delivering DPC into their communities. So if you are like, whoa, this is mind-blowing and I would love to hear even more options as to like how this could be appealing to the employer that I work with or the community that I live in. That's a great place to really hear week after week direct primary care stories delivered by the physicians who are doing it. I love it. And we're going to we're going to promote that for sure. And I'm hoping that we will actually start bringing some clients your way and you can start helping people not just in your community but other providers, other people all across the country. You've been obviously a leader in the space to me. Obviously, you've taken me down a path and introduced me to some new things, but I know so many others and uh, can't thank you enough. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. You bet. Mm-hmm.